0: Hi, this is Steve. This week on The Cinephiles, we begin our exploration of one of our most requested and controversial films. David Fincher's 1999 cult classic Fight Club is dark, violent, funny, disturbing, challenging, and surprisingly deep. It's not only brilliantly acted and beautifully crafted, but it's also one of those movies that you feel compelled to watch over and over again, as its many twists reveal themselves to you. So, while I know some of you prefer to listen to our review before watching the film, on this one, I highly recommend watching the movie first, because trust me, you want your first experience with Fight Club to be spoiler free. Of course, the best way to check out Fight Club or any other film we've ever reviewed is to visit Cinephiles.net. that's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S dot and there you'll find links to buy the Blu-ray or rent the film through Amazon Prime. John and I had so much fun talking about this one that for only the second time in our history, we actually ran out of time to record and had to start up again a week later. Unfortunately, by that time, we had come up with even more to talk about. Needless to say, this is going to be another two parter, but I think you'll find it well worth it as John and I go very deep into the production, meaning, and influence of Fight Club this Friday on the Cinephiles.
1: Welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club.
0: Welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, and we explore its themes, its history, its filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker, directing instructor in Los
2: Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, writer, producer, and host of numerous shows here in Los Angeles and uh, over at Collider, doing a bunch of stuff as well. Um, and usually when we do the intro, or Steve does the intro to the episode... He says the themes and, and blah, blah, blah. And I can't even tell you. This may be the most thematic film we would tackle, full of a bunch of hidden meanings, a bunch of illusions, a bunch of things to explore and explain and flesh out. And we may even be completely 100% wrong on a lot of these. Who knows? Well, it's a lot of stuff. And,
0: yeah. and not only that, but the the all of these themes and illusions and ideas are controversial yes. and complicated. And understanding like, well, what is the film's trying to say? Yeah. Because re- there are a lot of people that take all sorts of different conclusions out of this film. Yeah. And it, it it elicits strong feelings. And of course, the film we're talking about is Fight Club, 1999, David Fincher. And of course, it shouldn't surprise anyone that this was a Patreon pick. Brian Saferni, Matt Yund, and Stanley Daniel all thought that we needed to discuss Fight Club on the cinephiles. And while I can think of a whole bunch of reasons why they might have said that, I'd rather hear their opinions.
1: Hey, John and Steve, Matt from New York again. When I was first introduced to Fight Club by my brother towards the end of high school, it truly shook me. Never had I seen a movie so weird and entertaining and thought-provoking all at the same time. I became obsessed watching it over and over, slowly stripping the layers to the point where my senior year I wrote an economics paper about the criticisms of consumer culture and later took a philosophy class entitled Plato, Descartes, and Fight Club. Though it seems like a quote-unquote guys movie full of testosterone and machismo on the surface, it has layers of depth you wouldn't expect. It's a rare movie that improves upon every viewing and cemented David Fincher as one of my favorite directors working today.
2: Hi Steve. Hi John. This is Stan Daniel from Louisville, Kentucky. I chose Fight Club as one of my Patreon picks for a seat as a standout film from 1999, which I believe to be a remarkable year in modern cinema. It's one of the most impactful films I've ever seen, for both good and ill. Initially, much of the satire was lost on me, while the themes of anti-consumerism still resonate today as much as they did 20 years ago. And honestly, who's not seduced by the looks, confidence, and swagger of Tyler Durden? Fight Club's exhilarating, cathartic, and at times difficult to watch, even after many viewings. It's brilliant satire that can be easily misconstrued. It's not my favorite film ever, but but it is certainly one of the coolest. Thanks for letting me be a part of the show.
0: And also this week, we want to do a special cinephile shout out to Alicia from Venezuela. We hear you live in Chicago and that you're a huge fan of the show and we really appreciate you listening and spreading the good word about the cinephiles. So thanks, Alicia. This is a movie, this is one of
2: my favorites. Yeah, me too. I've
0: come back to it over and over and over again and every time I watch it, I get more stuff and I get more
2: amazed by the genius of this film. hmm I think it's his most artistic film that he's ever done as a filmmaker, in terms of film technique, uh, usage of film, the use of the medium. I think other films may be better overall, like Zodiac's an incredible film. Seven is a phenomenal film, but I think there's something about his work in this film that pushes the boundaries a little bit of what the medium can do. This this is my favorite of
0: his. Yeah, Um, Seven I find too hard. I think it's brilliant. Oh, really? But I don't want to watch it all the time.
2: Really? No. Oh, my God, I went through a period where I watched that thing over and over and over again. It just influenced me so much. It's
0: brilliant and powerful, yeah. but I don't go like, hey, I feel like jumping into the world of seven. <laughs> um, and Zodiac, I like a lot, and obviously there's Social Network and a lot of great yeah, films. So network's great, too.
2: Um, but this one is the one that just speaks to me the most. Do you mm-hmm. remember how you first came to it? Yeah, I remember. Um, I guess it would have to be in Tallahassee at Florida State, going to see it. Uh, and I think we went with some friends of ours who are probably still friends of ours now from Florida State, uh, to go see it, and I just remember, I remember just loving this fucking movie when I was in the theater. And I'm sorry to cuss so early in our podcast. It's clip. Fight Club, dude. Well, yeah. And for those of you who are listening with kids or whatever, I apologize, but there will be some cussing in this. This just hit all the buttons for me, and I remember that experience so distinctly because, you know, I'd only been a few, maybe two, three years out of the service. Oh right. Uh, I was still. Like pursuing acting at Florida State, pursuing possibly filmmaking, becoming a director, maybe in my mind, all these things just kind of converge. Basically, that period from ninety six to two thousand is full of a lot of really life changing experiences in the film, uh, in the theater rather with film. And Fight Club, along with Matrix, along with Seven, uh, were some of the most. And Pulp Fiction were some of the seminal films that really influenced me going forward in my life. And Fight Club was something that just. Every once in a while, there are these man films, and they just hit all the buttons for me in a primal way. And I remember this is a primal movie, that. yeah. I remember feeling that walking out, and I couldn't wait to rush back in to see it again.
0: It's funny looking at it now, by the way. I'd never thought of the late 90s as this great era for film, mm. but you just mentioned like Matrix and there's Fight Club and Seven. Uh, the same year this came out as Magnolia and Meeting John, uh, Being John Malkovich. Right. I mean, these are groundbreaking films mm-hmm. that are really challenging, all of them challenging in very different ways. Right. Uh, for me, uh, I was in LA. I saw it in the Cinerama Dome. Oh, I think I saw it opening wow. night.
2: I'd love to see the Cinerama Dome.
0: And and what was interesting is I was listening to the commentary track, and Ed Norton said he went to opening night at the Cineramadone and sat in the back. So its I'm not sure I saw it opening night. I saw it pretty quickly after it opened. Yeah. But it's possible that Ed Norton was sitting behind me at the theater. Could be. And I remember just being blown away by this movie. And what's mm-hmm. been funny doing the research... I, I just wasn't aware at the time that it wasn't doing well. Yeah. And that it didn't... It got a very mixed critical response because mm-hmm. for me, it was like, well, this was a thing of genius. Yeah. But it actually took till the DVD release that the movie
2: started to become one of those films that we talked about a lot. Yes. That caught on later on. Um, I, I try to convince... And I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I do remember it not doing well because it was one of these films that I would I was like upset that it wasn't doing better at the box office. I remember that distinct feeling and I tried to convince as many people as possible that I knew in Tallahassee to go see this movie because it was so good.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I remember I was working at the DVD job when mm. this thing came out and I we, we worked on the DVD. So I remember oh, yeah. going through this thing over and over again back in 2000 Yeah, and just being so... That was one of the ones where it's like, yeah, I'll do it again. Yeah, I'll do it again. Yeah, right. I'll do the... You know, it was awesome.
2: And I worked on the Blu-ray version of this ah. a few years later when the company that we had worked for got bought out Right, and it was an extensive Blu-ray with, yeah. with a crap ton of special features and hidden Easter eggs throughout the whole blu-ray that we had to test and retest it it was like months long project
0: which by the way pissed me off in the last your blu-ray pissed me off in the last week <laughs> I'm because sure. i just like just show me where the behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. i don't want to like click through every weird thing to try to find i just want if i don't have time try testing it uh, i can imagine well the funny thing about the blu-ray is it opens up with the never been kissed uh, yes menu yes, which is great and, and then that breaks apart and takes you in a fight club which is just so mm-hmm. that's so funny and there's one more drew barrymore reference in the movie Oh right. Yes. Um, so uh, let's talk a little about pre-production. Obviously, this comes from the book by Chuck, whose last name I can't really pronounce, but I should I should have like looked at the phonetic, but it's <laughs> Palihuniac Palahini- or Poloniac or
2: Paluniac or Poloniac Polaniak, yeah.
0: However you want to say it um,
2: P. Chucky P is what I call
0: it. And what's so funny, I mean the book came out in ninety-six. Yeah. This gets this comes out in ninety-nine. The book wasn't a big hit. Mm-hmm. It was really the movie that made the book, which I didn't really realize. Yeah. That that Fox just found it. Um and at first, they wanted Peter Jackson to do it. Oh, what? Yeah. And he was doing something else, Frightener, oh, one, one of those things. Mm-hmm. And then and the next person they went to was Danny Boyle. Ooh, Danny Boyle would have been interesting coming I could totally fun. see Danny Boyle. Yeah. Fincher wanted to do it, mm-hmm. but Fincher was pissed at Fox because of what happened on Alien 3. Oh, yeah. And he was like, I don't ever want to work with Fox again. Yeah. Um, Alien 3 is one of those movies where you're like, there was genius in it, mm-hmm. and then... Not if he you know. had been allowed to do his That's movie, who st- knows how it would yeah. have turned out? That's but my studio sense. interference, yes, yeah. too much. Because Fincher, and, and, and you know, I just did you know a little bit of background, I didn't realize he grew up about, yeah, six miles away from me, yeah, um, and that, that had he not been- moved to Oregon. Uh, he and I would have gone to the same high school. Oh, wow. He's a couple of years older than me, so he would have probably been a senior maybe when I was a freshman. Okay. Um, but uh, Or maybe he would have just graduated. Um, but uh, they move up to Oregon, and he's one of the guys that we talked about where 8 millimeter film since he was a little kid, yeah. always wanted to do that. Ended up, what I didn't know, I knew he had worked in visual effects. I didn't know he worked at ILM. Mm-hmm. He was on Return of the Jedi. He worked on Last Crusade. Mm-hmm and then went off to of course make music videos and the famous madonna videos and that's what really got him noticed right. and then i uh, went you know those form propaganda films and that's what led him to alien 3 which was just a disaster for him he didn't he didn't know he ever wanted to make a movie again yeah Until he got the script for 7 and of course 7 led to the game which i haven't seen in a long time but i like the game
2: i like the game yes it's for me it's his least accessible movie in yeah. terms of enjoyment uh but I get it. Um and obviously he worked with Brad Pitt yeah. before
0: on uh seven and um so when so it's a real natural to bring Brad Pitt in and he had and he had just had a not great um uh, film with Meet John Doe. Mm. Or Meet Joe Black, I mean Meet Joe Black, right. Meet Joe Black. <laughs> Meet John Doe is totally different Totally film. different film <laughs> Um and uh I just found out who they wanted for uh the
2: Ed uh the Ed Norton part. Who's that? Matt Damon. Oh man. Damn. Well, I think they went the right route, though. But then again, this is Matt Damon right after Good Will Hunting, maybe two years after Good Will Hunting, so before right Jason Bourne. Yeah. So it could have still worked when he was still kind of a skinnier guy who yep. could have played this kind of part. But I like them going with the more intellectual. I love Ed Norton. With Norton, yeah. And this
0: is this moment where he's kind of, you know, there's primal fear yeah. and people versus Larry Flint, And suddenly this guy is, who is this? And he is so interesting, particularly in this era. Mm-hmm. Really smart and really... You know,
2: willing to make unusual choices. This is my favorite Ed Norton era and also my totally. favorite Brad Pitt era. I, I he'll do be, he'll do great films, he'll be a great actor. He might win an Oscar someday, Brad Pitt. But this is my favorite period of Brad Pitt's career. This well, it n- is, late 90s. It period. is
0: Uber Brad Pitt, yeah. where it's just all the charisma and all of the weird energy and just like there's nobody doing what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting to me is uh that uh there's a lot of different people working on the script, including Brad Pitt and Ed Norton. It sounds like mm-hmm. they were really involved throughout the whole process, that it was a real collaborative
2: situation between the three of them with Fincher. Not a surprise, Norton has kind of got to be known, and I read a yeah. number of profiles on him, rewriting scripts. He did that with uh, Frida cause, uh, for uh, Sama, because he was dating Sama at the time. Right. And he rewrote some of Larry Flint, yep. beca- with, and he d- was dating with Courtney Love, Love. Yeah. as well. So He's an interesting cat, Ed. He had a little run, and then... He just shows up every once in a while. Yeah. To see him in a Jason Bourne movie was kind of heartbreaking because, yes, it's good work, but it's not that Ed Norton that you remember from the 90s right. with Primal Fear, like you mentioned. in this film and, and Larry Flint and a numerous other uh, American history, X even. Yeah, totally. Like all this time, there's this great star and 25th Hour and then it kind of fades away and he's doing Hulk or he's doing these small parts in other films and thank God for uh, Wes Anderson to bring him back right. to into the into, back into our public right. consciousness more more uh, often. So well, he's one of the ones that. where I wonder, what does he want? Yeah.
0: You know, is he trying to be a movie star and not, no one's letting him? Is yeah. he enjoying, I work every once in a while with Wes Anderson or whoever yeah. uh, on, on a little movie or get a good paycheck from Jason Bourne? Yeah. I don't know. He I could be no script doctoring too that without know, our he's knowledge. He's just a super yeah. smart guy. He is a very smart guy. Um. So, uh, that's all the pre-production I have. I want to get into the movie, but I want to say something first. (laughs) Which is here we go. Which no, it's short. I don't know what
2: he's gonna say, people.
0: (laughs) But but normally, you know, we've said many times, look, this is an old movie. We're gonna spoil everything. Oh yes. But this one in particular, yeah, this is one of those movies that has a massive twist, Mm -hmm. and because of it like six sense would be another one mm-hmm. it's really fun to go back and see it the second time knowing the twist and tr- and try to understand the film in a new way and so i want to start with the twist i, wanna, I want okay. to i want to i want to say it because as we go through i think one of the questions we have to yeah. ask throughout this film is what the fuck is actually going on? Right, right. And the twist, of course, so so this is the spoiler. This is your chance to go to cinephiles.net, buy or rent the movie, watch the film, <laughs> yeah. get to the end, and then you could come back, and I'll give you this much time. Okay. I hope Great. you enjoyed the movie. Perfect. Welcome back. <laughs> the twist, of course, is that there is no Tyler Durden, yeah. that it is one person with a split personality, and the narrator, whose name we never get, has been everyone.
2: Well, there is a Tyler Durden. There is. He's right. just not a physical... Well,
0: there's all these people who know Tyler Durden, but when they see them, they're seeing Ed Norton. Yes. They never see Brad Pitt. Right. Um, And that's really important because everything about this movie is a little bit up for grabs with, like, what was actually happening in this scene? Um, So we start with some static and some scratching sounds, and we go right into the Music. Dust Brothers. Mm-hmm. It's their first film. Yeah. And the music soundtrack is great. Yeah it is. And we go through the weird neurons of, you know, Ed Norton's brain, mm-hmm. which was pretty fancy uh, CG at the time. Mm-hmm. So much so they had a separate budget for it because they were a little wow. worried that they wouldn't bring this in under budget and when they finally saw what they're doing they're like, "Okay, you could do this."
2: He's great with his credits by the way. Oh. The seven credits are incredible. Going yeah. backwards right on the screen was brilliant.
0: No, he well he's a great visual stylist. Yep. Um, and we're going out of the brain to the skin to the barrel of the gun, and there is Ed Norton with a gun in his mouth. Mm -hmm. That's a nice way to open a movie. Mm -hmm. People are always asking me if I know Tyler Durden.
2: (laughs) (laughs) By the way... No one ever asks him that in the whole movie. No, because yeah. he is Tyler Durden. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> That's a great point. Did you know that with a gun barrel in your teeth you only speak in vowels?
2: <laughs> well, I imagine so. <laughs> um,
0: and, and then he has these you know, and again, this is a voiceover movie. I think this is one of the greatest voiceover films of all time. Absolutely. Without question. This you
2: can put up against Shawshank, what Morgan does in Shawshank. Absolutely. I, yeah,
0: yeah. It's 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 more in the way that the voiceover is interacting mm-hmm. with every scene, it is a and the studio at first, they didn't want voiceover. Oh, really? They said, we, we don't think voiceover movies work really well. Don't do voiceover. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that's what the whole. Yeah. Have you read the book, by the way? No, I've never read the book. It's really good, yeah. and it very much mirrors a lot of this. Ben,
2: yeah. What's the point?
0: Um, <laughs> 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 Fair. <laughs> Fair. Um, and then he has this other line of voiceover, which is that old saying, How you always hurt the one you love. Well, it works both ways. Which is, first of all, a great line. Yes. Because it's saying, well, then that means you're hurting the people that you love. Right. And it's an even better line when it's himself. Right. Because the
2: person, one of the people he loves is Tyler Durden. And the people you love hurt you. Yeah. And then, and it's, what he says there at the beginning gets mirrored back at the end of the film yep. when we get to it. And he says something that is also in reverse. But go yep.
0: Um And then we go through this CG, one of the, this is early CG. Mm-hmm. This is right around the same time in The Matrix where we go down into the basement and we go into the van and we see the explosives and all this is... And I remember seeing this in 99 and going, wow. Mm-hmm. This is really cool. you know the other movie that came out same year is Three Kings. Oh yeah, and Three Kings it does similar stuff David where it go like Russell going, yeah. yeah David these are some interesting filmmakers yeah, Paul Thomas coming. Anderson
2: Spike Jones David O Russell David Fincher these are all explode and they all feed off of the independent film movement from the early nineties. Yep. they all come into bear because the public's tastes have changed. Yep, and these people can now make their movies and the studios recognize this. And It's brilliant because like
0: without Tarantino, there's no none of these people are absolutely playing. yeah. At first he says it all has something to do with Marlar Singer, and then he goes, No, no. We go immediately with a hard cut
2: into Bob. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Bob. Bob had
2: bitch tits. Bob had bitch tits. But I will always remember that line till I, die. I may mutter it on my deathbed. Who knows? But I say that line all the time. And we're right into Meatloaf. Yeah. I'm literally right into <laughs> Meatloaf. And his big
0: bosoms. Yeah. Um And by the way, I love Meatloaf. Yeah, Meatloaf's great. I I probably wouldn't necessarily want to get into a political discussion with him today. Sure. But that
2: first, that album, that was a big album. Yeah. And this was around that time when he was trying to become an actual actor, like become an an actor as opposed to that Rocky Horror stuff. And he's great in this. He is
0: fantastic. Yeah. Um, And And I I love that there's this, I mean, I'm going to quote some of these VO lines because they're so good. Between these huge sweating tits that hung enormous, the way you think of gods as big... (laughs) (laughs) that is a brilliant brilliant bit of writing
1: no wait back up let me start earlier for six months i couldn't sleep
0: and this is going to be how this movie is going to work you're not going to stay in a single narrative you're going to jump back and forth in time this voiceover is going to pull you around Mm -hmm. it's just fascinating
1: with insomnia nothing's real everything's far away everything's a copy of a copy of a copy.
2: You said you haven't really had insomnia. I've never, uh, yeah, and and I was watching the film again before we uh, recorded this and I was thinking to myself, like, I know people who have it and I I pity people who have insomnia because I've been on runs where I don't sleep for a couple days because of, like, either work or shooting on the sets and then going, like, when I was at Florida State, I would, they would shoot at night, the student films. So we would, I would have to go to school all day, do the homework, do rehearsal for a play, then go right in, shoot a film till five in the morning. And so uh, that ran a couple of times. So I get what insomnia and what he's talking about. Like everything is distant. Nothing feels real. And Ian suffers through insomnia. And I've known him for years. And he's talked about what that's like when he goes on, these insomnia runs. And I have a few friends who go through it. And I just feel sorry for them because I, I could not exist. In an insomnia, I would go insane, like insane. Well, that's
0: literally what happens to our yeah, character yeah. and what break. happens to people. I mean, I've had insomnia, but not like this. Right. I mean, I've had like a couple of days. Sure, sure, sure. You know, or Every f- weeks, a few weeks of minimal sleep yeah. you know, where you're getting an hour or two or three and that'll mess you up. Of course. But he says six months he yeah. couldn't sleep. Um, and everything, I like, you know, this line, everything's a copy of a copy. And what do we see flash in? <laughs> first little subliminal Tyler Durden appears and disappears. Yeah, which is so crazy because it's Fincher is messing with film convention. Yep, you know there's this whole other thing happening. We go in again our next CG shot, which is moving through the garbage, mm-hmm. and he's talking about deep space naming rights of Starbucks <laughs> and Microsoft and this is going right into one of our themes we're going to deal with as you brought up there are many and one of them is corporate culture yeah and the the labeling and naming of us by what we buy
2: right and this is what was happening in the in the in the uh, culture at the time because corporations are starting to become more and more of a influential um uh voice in our pop culture uh zeitgeist you know you would hear and yes you do the Uh, what do you do, the the, tie-ins, do all the franchise? Of course, you do the tie-ins, but this was something else. They were addressing it because this was kind of happening throughout our culture. It's coming louder and louder, Apple, Microsoft, all of that. We were having access to the idea of like, you have to have this car you have to have this clothes you have all of that was becoming really important to people uh coming out and especially coming out of the 80s and that was really manifesting itself all over again in the late 90s this idea of having to look a certain way in order to exude a certain kind of aura yeah
0: well and one of the interesting things that they point out in the commentary track is basically all the product placement all the time you see corporate logos mm-hmm. they're always negative yeah. it's in the garbage can it's being lit on fire yeah. it's being destroyed like you know, it's they're not subtle about what they're doing. Right? Um, we go into work. Uh, the boss is wearing a very nice cornflower blue tie. I love uh, that actor, by the way. It's uh, Zach Grenier. And he's always great at playing. like He is great. Us. There's this line of, "You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you advise a status upgrade?" <laughs> yeah. And well, and this is the thing about this movie. This is a comedy, a black comedy, a black yes. black, black comedy. Yes. And so, and I think a lot of people. there's a whole bunch of people who hate this film for political reasons on both sides. Yes. And one of the reasons is that they didn't get what was funny. Yeah. You know, about these very serious, we're going to get into some serious stuff. Yeah. And it's going to handle
2: them in a very funny way. Yeah, I was, I'm was, i always amazed people take it too seriously, Steve. It's a movie. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there are other movies that I understand why you would take it too seriously. I get it. But this is all done from a place of humor, but also humor through, but intelligent humor. And that's what bothers me when people say they don't get it. Like It, it un- unsettles me. Yeah. I mean, to well, I, so to some degree, it's like either you don't
0: have a sense of humor at all or you don't have a sense of humor. Your sense of humor has blind spots over certain areas that you're like, we shouldn't joke about that. Yeah. And there's a lot of we shouldn't joke about that. I have very little of it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, we should be able to joke about everything. Yeah. You know, I'm a Jewish person. I like, jo- you know, like the producers is jokes about Nazis. Yeah, You know, there's. I don't go like that's forbidden to joke about it because in my mind, he, comedy is sometimes the biggest place to mm-hmm. poke at, you know, the, the big evils in the world. Yeah. That's how you do it. Great comedy usually does that and,
2: yeah. and makes you think at the same time.
0: Well, and that's certainly what this does because we're going into a world where we, he walks through as an apartment after, <sighs> after sitting on the Great. toilet with his Ikea catalog and he walks through and Every single thing he walks by as his apartment fill, fills up is is named and built like it's part of a catalog. Yeah. He calls it the IKEA nesting instinct. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Klipsk personal office unit, the Hovertrack home exerbike, or the Ohanischov sofa with the string green stripe pattern, even the Rizlampa wire lamps of environmentally friendly unbleached paper. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person?
2: Have you had thoughts like this? Um, I will say that I've never had that thought, but I've always had thoughts of like, what do what should I get to make it look like I know Right. I know what I'm talking about. Or I know I have some kind of sense of fashion or style. Some kind of style. Yeah. I usually but like when you're younger, because you're still figuring it out, you have those questions. But as you get older, you settle and you understand what your style is. Other people Oh, are, I don't understand what my style are, is. Are, <laughs> well, other people, are, no. I could tell what your style is from being in your house. Absolutely, oh, and, no, well, yes. So because so, we're talking
0: furniture, right? Yes, that's furniture. what we're talking about. I, I definitely have a style. You in my do, house. Um, absolutely, no question.
2: In terms of clothing, clothes stress me out. Right, but like, that makes me very nervous. Right, but there's not really anything that he's talking about with clothes because it's all like khakis and shit. So there's no real extension in his mind. Well, no, but that's but, part of the whole, like the whole corporate what these purchases I make
0: define me. Sure. You know, and to one degree or another, I've definitely had these thoughts. Right. I remember having a conversation with a friend. It was a time when I was thinking about buying, a new car. Oh, and it was when I would lost all the weight, so I was mm. really skinny. And I'm talking to a friend, and I was talking about what you know, this kind of car. And all I think about a car is like what it does and what it's like on the inside. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, now that you're thinner and you're dressing better, maybe you, you know you need to find a car that looks good for you. Yeah. That looks." And it was like it had never occurred to me how a car looks,
2: of what it says about me mm-hmm. from the outside. Yeah. I never even thought about it. Yeah, and then that got me stressed out. Well, it's a fair point. I mean, my <laughs> I get so much shit from my Prius from women I date. Really? Yes. Some women see me in a Prius and they're just like, "Nah, it's not cool. It's not. It's a Prius. It's economical. Blah blah blah." There, there are people who judge you for the things that you own or of course use. There are, and and it's always unsettling to me because because I'm not built that way. So it's weird to confront that when it happens. I almost feel apologetic. About it, and I'm was like, well, no, because That's I save so much money. Well, and it's good for the environment. It's and, great for the and also it's a car. It's a car, and it's fast as fuck when I need it to be. <laughs> it, it,
0: it's such a weird thing, and yet this is again, we're talking about the themes of this movie. Yeah. What defines you, and what and what this movie is going to do is, it's going to say, let's strip away everything, right, down to the essence, to it, the bottom,
2: right, because the surface is a lie. You know, right. just because I drive, if I drove a, a duster. A black duster with a loud engine, just because it turns you on in the moment, as a, as a girl. When Tur- I t- certainly turn, would turn me. On. Well, I'm, <laughs> right. If I'm going on a date, I mean, I'm, I'm just carbonate.
0: picturing you in that car right now.
2: It's, That's right. Oh. Go, with those sunglasses <laughs> on. And she sits there and she enjoys it. But then when we get there, I'm a complete asshole. Then you know, what's the point, right? It, so it's those kinds of things. You, you get the veneer of, oh, this guy's kind of cool. But then you find out what the truth is beneath. And so those are things you confront all the time in life.
0: Well, yeah. And for a lot of people, they don't go a lot deeper than the surface. No. And they I mean, never really get past that. That's a really unsettling thing to confront. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, I love the line, by the way, that you know, something was made by honest, simple indigenous people of whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> or of wherever. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. But he can't sleep. So what's he got to do? He goes to the doctor. Uh, and he, and he, and he says, I wake up in strange places. I don't know where I am. And he wants a drug and he has the list of drugs in his head and he wants it. And he says, and the doctor just goes, no, you just need healthy, natural sleep, right. which medically, by the way, is true. Yeah. It's things like people who take Ambien all the time. They're not getting all the stuff they need to get out of sleep, but no. if you can't sleep, you can't sleep. Right. And, and, and he tries to tell the doctor, I'm in pain, you you know, and the guy says, you want to see pain? Go see the guys with testicular cancer. <laughs> and
2: right at that moment, another Tyler Durden pops up. Yep. It makes me think about, as I was watching the movie again today, it made me think, like, how long has Tyler Durden been gestating inside him because this idea that he wakes up in places he doesn't know where he's, or he, he, he's in places he doesn't he doesn't remember how he got there, doesn't remember what he, like, Tyler may have already been laying the groundwork before I, Tyler shows up in the
0: movie. There's no question to me that he's laying the groundwork yeah. because he has been working as a projectionist, And as a waiter in hotels, this whole time. yeah, And we don't know when that started. Right. The whole time he hasn't been sleeping and he can't remember. He's been out doing other jobs with Tyler Durden. And we're going to get to a good one in a moment, by the way, which is evidence of this.
2: Making soap Um, and shit, yeah. uh,
0: And so he, so, and this immediately, now we're in the support group. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing about this film structure is it moves perfectly from, you know, go to the support group. Boom, we're in the support group. It's, Every it's, idea—it's stream
2: consciousness, stream of consciousness. Yep, yeah, that's
0: exactly it's, what it is. Because we're in his mind, and we start with this guy talking about his wife.
1: She had her first child last week—a uh,
0: girl—with
1: with her uh, with her new husband. And thank God, you know, I'm I'm glad for her
0: because <laughs> <laughs> she just. Oh my God. And this is one of those scenes where it is so sad Mm -hmm. and so true Mm -hmm. and so funny Mm -hmm. to watch this guy through, try to explain why he's really happy for his wife who remarried someone else and just had her first daughter Yeah, and he
2: can't have kids and that's great. And he bursts into tears. By the way, the guy has one scene and he works all the time now. I see him everywhere. And what's great is the casting is as great as this too, Steve, because he does a great job with that. And then the guy who gets up to console him, the guy who runs, is such a great hang dog face. It's just brilliant. You guys give me courage. Have you ever, last question, have you ever been to any of these groups? Have you ever gone to a group?
0: Really? Yeah. Well, not, no, I've been to AA meetings. Okay. Uh, Were
2: you an AA? Are you an alcoholic? No. I've never
0: known this. No. Well, you've been with me drinking quite a bit, so <laughs> oh, yeah. whether or not I am an alcoholic, yeah. uh, no, I was with my father-in-law. Oh, gotcha. uh, we went with him. Gotcha for so for
2: support him. To support and I've also
0: been to Al-Anon meetings. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, but
2: but, but you never gone for yourself? No, in any of these meetings? No, I have. Wait, hold on. Have you? I I no. All right. Yeah, when we gonna get deep. We're gonna get deep. Yeah, no, I've been to a you, Debtors Anonymous. Oh, wow. back when I was yeah, going yeah. through a lot of shit back in the, a few years ago. That's a, that's these groups are as depressing. And kind of depending on the group up, can be uplifting, but there is a lot like you think you've done a lot of, sh- and when you get in those groups, you're like Jesus Christ! Yeah. Like it's really, it kind of serves two purposes: to give you a, a kind of perspective, but also show there is support there. So,
0: so by the way, when my when my dad was sick, I went to families of ALS. Okay, so I've been to that kind of one. Okay. But I haven't been where it was my thing, right? So much. Okay. Um. I've got some groups you can go to. <laughs> I have. I've, I've got a lot of things. I'm sure there's a lot to apply. Testicular cancer is one I'm not appropriate <laughs> no, for. No. Good. Um, good segue. And, and he gets up, to, but and but that's where Ed is. He's sitting in the background yeah. of a meeting of people that are, have a disease that he doesn't have. Yeah. And of course now they have. It's time for the private share, which mm-hmm. is something I've never seen in groups. I don't yeah. know if that's a a thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's um. Like acting. But then. and he gets, you know. Paired up with Meatloaf, mm-hmm. the big moose, and I love he describes eyes already glossy with tears. Oh shrink wrapped. Shrink yeah. wrapped with tears. Shrink wrapped oh, with tears. Real brilliant. And he gets pulled into those big bitch tits. <laughs> By the way, the studio did not like the size of his nipples. <laughs> what? They really they they actually made two whole different suits, one with big nipples and one without big nipples. And Fincher fought for the big nipple ones. Oh god studios. movie making is weird. Studios. Um and, and, and Our and, surveys say the big nipples do not <laughs> Don't like the big nipples I mean it's a really weird scene
2: oh, of course And the casting of Meatloaf is weird It is weird yeah.
0: and, and his first reaction is people expressing emotions like this Make me go all rubbery mm-hmm. And then something happened I let go Lost in
1: oblivion Dark and silent and complete I found freedom Losing all hope
2: was freedom. And he cries. Yes. Why? Because he's been judging everybody else. So he finally plays a hand. Mm-hmm. And in playing a hand, he realizes, I've been judging because I've been afraid to open up. And I find that throughout my life with a number of people who, who act above it or, or judge around. And then the second they actually open up, they're, a, they're a, a, a bucket of tears. you know. And so you're like, yeah, this is what it's all about. So, you know. Well, and yet he's doing it. A, I
0: think it's the total anonymity that's helping him yes, do Yes, of course. And the fact the that he's
2: got to do it all, honestly.
0: Well, yeah, because exactly, because this has nothing to do with that. He's actually suffering. Yeah. Is that he is able to just let all those emotions out because, in fact, no one knows what he's talking about. Right. He's not expressing, I have insomnia, I feel disconnected, I have major daddy issues, which we're going to get into in the <laughs> yeah. course of the film. Yeah. He just goes, he just weeps. Yeah. But weeping allows him to sleep. Babies don't sleep
2: like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that line. Um, and he says he became addicted. And I love he walks in. Again, the Fincher's just incredible craftsmanship Of mm-hmm. uh, he comes in, he looks at the schedule, he takes the schedule of group meetings. Man, this church or wherever it is, they have a lot of meetings uh-huh. there. Uh, and she's like, tuberculosis. And we go into this montage. Yeah.
1: If I didn't say anything, people always assume the worst.
0: You're
2: they cried harder. <laughs> then I cried harder. Well, suffering is suffering, right? The condition There's is the degree. condition, but suffering is suffering. And that's what he's looking for, because he's suffering. Yeah. So he seeks connection with other people who are suffering.
0: Yeah, I mean I think the stuff, you know, the the, the stuff is always different. Oh, sure. Like what course. you're experiencing with testicular cancer versus some blood parasite right. is different. But but he but that doesn't matter because when he goes in it doesn't say anything. He, what he says is people always assume the worst. And I love, by the way, just the details—the inserts of coffee cups yeah. and donuts, and you know, all of that. The dingy rooms. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Also, Steve, this is an interesting too because this whole thing is an exploration of—he is a statement on society. Because in 1999, we are just now becoming more talkative or open about mental health stuff. In 1999, right? More about suffering. Men are being seen as you know, like being able to talk about their suffering when we're supposed to like keep it in. Like all of a sudden it's okay to talk about it. And so this is such a timely film for what's happening and what's about to happen in our culture. It's brilliant. But the the other thing about it though too
0: is that there's a weird... um, Quarantine of of suffering that's happening because it's like none of these people are with their families, right? You know, there aren't people; they have to go to this anonymous place in this dingy room to have this sort of sad meeting with the only people that understand them. I'm not knocking support groups in any way. I don't mean that. I mean they're amazing things for people who need them. But there's something about the way it happens in this movie that's isolating and. And, and this is sort of the conspiracy of the movie. Is what one of the things the movie is going to do is make the Fight Club really seductive, yeah, and feel vital and alive in a way that these support groups do not.
2: Well, yeah, because it's all through Tyler's or through Norton's mind and the narrator's right. mind. So he's got to make the support groups. Seems suspect, but the thing he creates is more incredible. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, he goes into some guided meditation, and he
0: walks into his cave, <laughs> this nice <laughs> yeah. ice cave. It's a weird movie. Spirit animal. Sees his spirit animal, <laughs> which is a penguin, and it says, slide. Every evening I died,
1: and every evening I was born again, resurrected.
0: And what has he created? He's created a whole bunch of relationships based on lies. Yeah. Bob loved him because he thought he didn't have testicles. Being there,
1: pressed against his tits, ready to cry. This was my vacation. And she
0: ruined everything.
1: This is cancer, right?
0: We've talked a lot about entrances. Yeah, man. (laughs) This is a fantastic one. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter walking into testicular cancer, smoking that cigarette, saying, this is cancer, right? (laughs) That
2: is amazing. What an interesting choice, Bonham Carter, too, because she had done, like, these British films, these, like, period pieces. I didn't know she had this gear, and she's incredible in this movie never never sexier than she is in this movie and never more powerful in my opinion as an actress very good actress obviously but really powerful in this movie
0: can i tell you the entrance
2: first, rather yeah. the first two people they wanted oh
0: you're gonna be really happy with what they did oh, okay the first one janine garofalo
2: oh my god no
0: the second one reese witherspoon i could kind I can of kind of see reese, reese. yeah yeah i was afraid you're gonna say paltrow no, it was not Paltrow, yeah. although she was in Seven. She was, Yeah, but she's virginal in Seven. Um, she's angelic in Seven. What, what Helena Bottom Carter does yeah. is amazing, because she is this weird entity that comes into the space and
2: just owns it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she comes in, and she's willing to be the subject of this whole situation, and I, I enjoy that.
0: And of course, our narrator is just struggling with this. She yeah. doesn't have testicular cancer. Well, she
2: says he says she's my window because she's a fake. she's a tra- she's a tourist right. right. And so she her lie uh, mirrors Sposes my lie exposes my lie, right yeah. And then he can't
0: enjoy it nope. which is really funny because it's like, yeah, your your whole thing is based on a lie. Yeah. you are feeling like you're resulting r- relating to real humans, sure, but you're not no because you're using
2: them to help yourself. Yeah.
1: Her lie reflected my lie. And suddenly, I felt nothing. I couldn't cry. So once again,
0: I couldn't sleep. We go into another support group, and we meet Chloe.
1: Well, I'm still here, but I don't know for how long. That's as much certainty as anyone can give me. But I've got some good news. I no longer have any fear of death.
0: Just like the guy that talked about his wife, mm-hmm. Chloe gets up and talks about she doesn't know how long she has to live, and that she just wants to have sex one more time. And she's on screen for forty seconds, yeah. and come hundred percent memorable.
2: Yeah, and I love it, Steve, because it's honest, isn't it? Like we, totally. we talk about cancer, and everyone talks about it in these like really soft and angelic terms. My father died of cancer, so I can say this without offending anybody. But like you hear this stuff, like you, oh, it's this. Oh, they're such heroes and they're warriors. But there's, a, like everything else, there's a human side to it. And yeah. the human side to it is what Chloe is saying. is like, I just want to get laid before I die. Just one yeah. more time, I want to feel physical pleasure before I leave this earth. And the same guys who are crying about testicular cancer, is because their balls have been taken off yeah. and they feel less like a man. She wants, she wants to feel like a woman, and fuck. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I love the honesty of the moment they have to. And when she leans into the mic and speaks loudly into the mic, is even more brilliant.
1: I have pornographic movies in my apartment and lubricants and anal nitrate. Chloe.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. And and what makes it so horrible and sad yeah. is there's no one there for her. No one's gonna, no one goes volunteers. No they all like put their eyes to the ground. They're all feeling yeah. awkward and uncomfortable yeah. and it's so, so here she comes to the support group <laughs> and speaks her truth. <laughs> and I, you know, we know that Chloe dies in the movie. Yes, we do later. I don't I bet she didn't have sex. Maybe not. I hope she did. I really feel for her. Yeah. She makes such a strong impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a
2: side business. I don't know.
0: Um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> you said we could talk about anything. All right, go ahead. I, I didn't say I wouldn't have a reaction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, Fair. <laughs> we go back in a guided meditation. He goes back into his cave. He looks for a spirit animal. Yeah. And there's Marla. Yeah. <laughs> Slide.
2: Fucking shit up. Yeah. He goes. He finally talks to her. But why do you think she's there, Steve? This is a good question. Why do you think she's there? Oh, because she has. uh, Why is she his spirit animal,
0: though? In that vision. Well, that okay. Let me answer. So she's there because she has invaded his private space, right? Ish, and and I would say through this movie, she is his spirit animal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that. I don't know that he knows that she's his spirit animal. Yeah. The other thing, by the way, about this film is that not only is all the who's doing what with Tyler Durden unreliable. On some level everything's unreliable. Yeah. We don't really know exactly what sequence things happened yeah. in. He's definitely an unreliable unreli- narrator absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh he goes to talk to her uh and says we have to talk and I love that she just keeps overflowing the coffee she's filling. Yeah. It's really funny and uh they end up oh it's time for your group, you know, your private share or whatever it is and he accuses her of, you know, you're a yeah. faker, you're a tourist. You know, he saw her in melanoma, testicular cancer, and her response is, I saw you practicing this, Rupert. Complete emasculation. Yeah. Even the way she says Rupert, because she knows it's not his real name. So, by the way, <laughs> the names are from two places. Oh. One is Planet of the Apes is Cornelius, and the <laughs> all the other names are Robert De Niro characters, Travis and Rupert.
2: Oh, my God.
0: And Rupert they, Pumpkin, of course. And they were talking about... The connection between this movie and Taxi Driver. Wow. By the way, the other movie that they really related this to yeah. is another one that we did, which is The Graduate.
2: Yeah, of course.
0: Because Underwater. It, well, and well, and it's all of the younger generation yeah. rejecting the values of the older generation in a in a manner that is ambiguous at best. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it's a really fascinating because Style I mean, they don't feel alike. Right. The graduate right. and fight club, they don't feel like at all. Yeah. But thematically they maybe are. Absolutely. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game.
2: Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all.
0: Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. And there's this great moment as they're talking, as they're having their private, you know, moment where he says
1: when people think you're dying and they really really listen to you instead of, just, instead of just waiting for their turn to speak
0: so she does exactly what he says that people don't do mm-hmm. when they think you're dying but that he likes mm-hmm. because she actually understood him mm-hmm. there is and that connection is right there um but he tells her i can't cry with another faker present they go outside um and what are we gonna do let's split up the nights
1: you take lymphoma and tuberculosis you take tuberculosis my smoking doesn't go over at all okay good fine (laughs) testicular cancer should be no contest i think well technically i have more of a right to be there than you you still have your balls Kidding. i don't know am
0: i uh we head off to the laundromat to grab some clothes walks right out into traffic um and walks right into a uh, like a a place to sell the clothes like a secondhand store um, and they start to argue about who wants bowel cancer. And there's a great shot of just the reaction shot of the woman behind the counter going, what
2: the hell is going on? And she's sliding. She's sliding. She's grabbing those jeans. She's going yep. to her money. She's living. the, She is sliding through her life. And that's what she's showing him. Well, she. Here's a thought I just had. Yeah,
0: Like Tyler Durden, she doesn't care about the rules. No. Nope. I wonder if Marla inspires Tyler to some degree. Maybe. Like him meeting
2: this woman and going, oh, I wish I could be more like that. Well, I think we meet the people we're attracted to at our li- at certain points of our sure. lives because they somehow fit whatever the hell we're looking for, for better or worse. So they come up with a deal, and they even exchange
0: phone numbers. <laughs> and he asks her one last question as a bus passes in front of her. We don't get the answer to the question, and off we're on to some planes. You wake up at SeaTac, SFO, LAX,
1: Pacific, Mountain, Central. Lose an hour, gain an hour. in for that flight doesn't begin for another two hours, sir. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time.
0: And we don't know this is before, this is after. Yeah. We don't know. We know that he's traveling all the time, and and again, he describes sort of the... You wake up in all these different places and it's like the insomnia. Where are you? An hour before, an hour behind, different locations, different hotels. And then he says,
1: if you wake up at a different time, in a different place, could you wake up as a different
0: person? And who goes by on the moving sidewalk in the other direction? (laughs) It's Tyler Durden. Yep. How long has he been Tyler Durden? A while, I would imagine. We don't, but he's so,
2: not aware of it. It's, he's, it's he's never met
0: the man. No, he's never met the man. But like he might be waking up in oh, Chicago, yeah. mm-hmm. doing his work during the day, and then going to be Tyler Durden all night. Yeah, and we don't really know.
1: Everywhere I travel, tiny life, single serving sugar, single serving cream, single pat of butter, shampoo conditioner combos, sample packaged mouthwash, tiny bars of soap, the people
0: I meet on each flight. They're single-serving friends i love that line and right when that happens by the way and this is the other other evidence that brad pitt that tyler durden's been around is he's looking at the welcome video from the hotel yeah. where they're all the waiters brad puts on the right <laughs> yes so brad pitt has been working <laughs> long enough to be in this video possibly or it's not there at yeah, all Yeah,
2: or it's not there at all who knows Yeah. because yeah. it's seeing himself he would be seeing himself yeah logically
0: and then we have a line that's really important in the film because it gets echoed many times which is on a long enough timeline the survival rate for everyone drops to zero this is going to come back a lot and what we're looking at is one of these wrecked cars that's burnt up and the fat has burned to the seat it's pretty darn gross Mm -hmm. melted human fat is going to be a thing we're going to come back to multiple times in this film which is excess yeah oh excess. good point yes good point that's what i mean these things are oh.
2: all over the film no this movie is about a lot yeah i mean and the fact that he's his job is to examine the wreckage it's the his own wreckage his it's what he's trained to do yep examine these uh car accidents but these car accidents are wreckage he himself is a wrecked person examining his own wreckage for the whole movie well and he's seen the
0: end of the value system right like the belief in all of the ikea and the products and yeah, stuff sure. and well it's all Going to end up with just you know fat rendered down into something,
2: like that's <laughs> right, all exactly. that's the place we're all heading. And the LCD of it the lowest common like, is it worth it to fix it versus taking the loss, right? Yeah, totally. Can I just keep Absolutely. existing as I am without addressing the wreckage of my life? Yeah, that's what these companies do. Can we keep making these cars uh, without addressing the wreckage yes. and just pay people off?
0: Well, and that is what li- life yeah. is a cost benefit analysis, of course. It is. How much do I put into this? you know until
2: yeah. yeah hey Cinephile fans we educate the fuck out of you right now <laughs> alright
0: let's keep going there's a re- there's a reason that you're going to patreoncom Cinephiles. that's right um get it, get it. <laughs> so, um uh and then what's really interesting is he's we we've been hearing his voice over this whole time yeah. and he's talking about this equation of of whether or not cars are going to do a recall and we move right into a scene on the plane, and in fact, it isn't voiceover. Mm-hmm. He's talking to this woman next to him, and I love her reaction. Is like,
1: are there a lot of these kinds of accidents?
0: You wouldn't believe.
1: Which car company do you work for?
0: <laughs> and his response is a major one. But what he's thinking about this
1: moment is every time the plane banked too sharply on takeoff or landing, I
0: prayed for a crash or a midair collision, anything. <laughs> And as soon as he has that thought, we see a Mm -hmm. mid-air collision. It is shocking Mm -hmm. and loud and powerful and super, super scary. Yeah. And then there's no crash.
2: Yeah. And he's talking to someone else.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's
2: Tyler Durden. And that's what happened. Tyler has shown up. The plane crash is Tyler showing up in his Yes, absolutely. We had seen him across the street. And now he's kind of hit that wall, mental break, where Tyler shows up. And for him, the mental break is the simulation of a plane crash.
0: And, and by the way We have no idea What actually happened Was he sitting Was there an empty seat next Oh to him? sure sure Was there a person next to him And he's just having This conversation in his head Did he freak that woman out And she left Who knows So now he's talking to this guy And Tyler Durden Is reading the important information Of what to do When you are in the exit row On a plane And it's a very serious Um, And what they talk about And by the way I have thought about this On almost every plane I've ever taken Since seen this yeah, movie Yeah of course Which is the idea Of the illusion of safety mm-hmm. Which is that the big reason that they go through all the safety lecture at the beginning is to make you feel like there's a plan. Yeah. You know? Now, by the way, there was just the Southwest thing yes. where they did let, you know, they did actually have to deal with oxygen masks mm-hmm. and landing the plane safely. And it really works. So I'm not saying that it's all bullshit. Sure. But I love that, you know, pointing out the pictures in that brochure, it's like, emergency water landing 600 miles an hour, blank faces, calm as Hindu cows. <laughs> it talks about sucking on oxygen. Well, that just gets you high. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, of course, our narrator asks him what he does, and he says, "Why?" So you can pretend like you're
2: interested. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they have the same briefcase. Yes, that's the <laughs> this time watching the movie. That's the first clue for me that I was like, ah, that yeah. if I had watched it for the first time, I should have caught it. I should have caught it. They the There's same so briefcase. many. Yeah,
0: there. You know, people are always asking me if I know Tyler Jordan. I mean, right from the beginning. Yeah, uh, we have these clues. They're they're not subtle, actually. Yeah. But I didn't get it the first time I saw it. No way. Um, He says that he sells it and makes soap, says his name, and then immediately goes into the recipe for napalm. Yeah.
1: One can make all kinds of explosives using simple household items. Really? If one was so inclined.
0: And our our narrator's response is, you are by far the most interesting single-serving friend I've ever met. And this is maybe my favorite exchange. My favorite movie. line in the movie. Yeah. And, because there's a pause, and, and Tyler's just staring at him, and he starts to explain. To have this thing, everything on a plane is single serving, even the
1: boy. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. How's that working out for you? What? Being clever.
0: <laughs> Boo, it's brilliant. Be, how's that working out for you, being clever, is something I say to myself all the time. <laughs> all the time. Particularly when I'm writing and I come up with some particularly clever thing and I go, because frequently clever is bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, that's not the real stuff. You were just being clever. How's that working out for you? It's a great exchange.
2: But also, the irony, I mean, the symbolism of him making soap, right? It's to clean. Soap is to clean. You know, it's he's cleaning this fucker's mind. He's trying to clean this guy's mind, to clean this guy's life. That's what he's trying to do to himself. He's trying to clean out all the bad shit. Well,
0: and to take the metaphor further, yep. what is the main ingredient of the soap? Human fat. Well, yeah, human fat. And what else is he going to use human fat for? For the bombs to clean the world. Yep. He he wants to use the you know the detritus of human existence mm-hmm. to scrub clean the world of civilization. Yep, that's what this movie is going to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now he's asking the question <laughs> of when I go out of this aisle, do I give you the ass or the crotch? It's great, and I just love because he gives him the ass. Then when he goes by the stewardess and he gives him the crot her the crotch, you notice it. Yeah, you know, like oh, because this is clearly on purpose.
2: Yep, I never give the crotch.
0: It's all, it's all, it's all uh, uh, geometry. Yeah, whichever gets me by easier, that's what I'll do.
2: I try to do the side. I try not to go either way. Yeah, well, I, so it's not to offend.
0: Yeah, well, but the, yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of logistics there. I try not to offend. Well, and as a really big guy, <laughs> I'm very aware of understood but sometimes you got it. you know it's a narrow space yep. and i'm wide. i gotta do yeah i gotta get through it how i gotta get through <laughs> it um i would say excuse me yeah of course well that's um, kind of we're off the plane and he can't get his luggage right because it was vibrating and there's a great speech about most of the time it's an electric razor but you know nine times out of ten but one time out of ten it's a dildo and of course and i love that he says of course, it's company policy,
1: never to imply ownership in the event of a dildo. We have to use the indefinite article, a dildo,
2: never your dildo. <laughs> Once again, exposing the corporate legalese so you don't get sued. Right.
0: right. And he, we hear that he says he had everything in his luggage, all his designer, whatever it is.
2: Here's my question for you. Yeah. What happened to the luggage? It's um, a good question. I think it was just taken. I think it never showed up. I think this
0: is... Because he is coming home right, to a apartment that is blowing up. So he knows he's got to get rid of all this stuff. Or... He, he is getting rid of all his stuff. Yeah. He planned for the apartment to blow up. Good point. He did, yes. He definitely did. And so it seems to me... And this is the flight on which he met Tyler Durden. Right. So in his head... In the craziness that is head, there's some plan hatching where he is trying to strip away all his stuff. Right. So losing the luggage has to be on purpose. Mm-hmm. My next question is, is what was vibrating? This is a man who's mm-hmm. going to build bombs to blow
2: up buildings. Right. So if, he, if it had been a something to build a bomb, they'd have found this guy, right? Unless he's been traveling as Tyler Durden this whole time. Yes. And... What
0: is Tyler Durden? What's like the second thing Tyler Durden tells him about? How to build napalm. Right. Out of human fat. Right. Like, so we have a vibrating suitcase, a guy who's literally blowing up his apartment as we speak. Yeah. We have a discussion about bomb making and what was right before he met Tyler Durden, Bur- his fantasy about a plane exploding. Yeah. I really want to know what might have been in that suitcase.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah. There's some stuff going on there.
2: Yeah, maybe it was bombs and stuff, and maybe they wanted to and then then, then they get his address, they go to his address, but his place is blown up. Right. So well, who knows?
0: Well, and again, we have an unreliable narrator. Yeah, so we, we don't do. know. I mean, like, cause we see Tyler Durden jump into a car and steal a car. Mm-hmm. So that could mean A that he just imagined that yeah. and there was no car theft right that could mean be that he stole a car yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have no idea what that's really true. happened here that's true um uh, so we head home and as we said his apartment is blown up and i love that we see all the stuff on the ground like the yin yang table <laughs> and and i and the line a fridge full of, a fridge full of condiments and no food yeah which is first of all a very typical bachelor yes thing to have and second of all is really A man who owns all these accessories and has no life. Yeah. You know, it is like my soul is empty. It is, it is just I'm just hanging exterior stuff on it, but there's nothing there. It seems really clearly symbolic. Yeah. And he needs somewhere to stay. And we kind of hear that oh, the pilot might let a pilot light might have let a little gas into it, and that led to this explosion. I love by the way he describes his apartment building as a filing cabinet. Mm -hmm. Concrete filing cabinet. Talk about dehumanizing. (laughs) He needs somewhere to stay. And what does he find? marla's card yeah gets on the phone calls marla the moment and as he's doing this he's imagining the apartment blowing up the moment she answers is the moment that in his mind the apartment blows up Yeah, and he hangs up
2: the phone what do you think that means hmm. so the apartment blows up while he's there on the phone no,
0: he's imagining the apartment. We're seeing right. in like sort of the flashback he's talking about it. He's talking about yeah, the yeah, gas
2: yeah. and this and this and this. Well, and this then. is the second break, right? Isn't it? Because she's she's coming in to basically blow up what he had, what he had, his own existence, mm. his own mental existence as well, what he had constructed. Just as he's about to construct this Tyler and uh, narrator dual life, she's the explosion of all of it. See, I,
0: I would put it. I think that's because, of course, we don't know. You but, are... Yeah, but my interpretation would be that what he is doing between the suitcase and this apartment is destroying all connection of himself mm-hmm. to the past life. Okay. He's cutting all the lifelines. Okay, and I think Marla is a lifeline. Oh, and so in his is that if he talked to her at that moment, he might go see her. And gotcha. If he
2: goes to see her, then he can't go be Tyler Durden. So that's Tyler Durden and doing the explosion to stop him from from right. talking to her. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I, but you know, we don't know. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, who does he then decide to call? Is His friend, the soap um, <laughs> manufacturer, Tyler Durden. Who's eating a big bowl of cereal, I would imagine. Or, or chips something. or something. Chip. By the way, that was the last take. Oh. They've done a whole bunch of takes with that, nothing in his mouth. And then Brad Pitt said, hey, why don't I just eat something? Uh, it's great. It works so good. And he says, you're not going to believe this. And we cut to the bar, mm-hmm. which we start with. Could be worse. A woman could cut off your penis. <laughs> Which is obviously like a Bobbit sort of reference, yeah, right. Um, yeah. Uh, which you know was uh, fortunately way back
2: in the past now, yeah. But, um, but also, it's a reference to what the, the threat Marla is exactly to, to his to this thing that he's creating, yeah, exactly. Is that because Marla will
0: is the enemy of Tyler, yes. And, and again, and it also is related to the importance of masculinity. We've had mm-hmm. testicular cancer where right. people have their balls cut off. Yes. And now we have a, the idea of a woman cutting off your penis. Emasculating and, you, yeah. Exactly. And, literally emasculating you. Yeah. And this is one of the things about this film is that this film is also a movie about what does it mean to be a man yes. and what is masculinity. And I think it has a lot to say in this area. And I, and I think where people get... I was thinking about how to talk about this exactly, but I mm-hmm. think where we get messed up is by trying to say that people saying either that the fight club is the truth and this is what men should be, no. or saying that fight club is exactly what is wrong with men and this is what men shouldn't be. Oh. I don't think it's either of those things. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's either of those things either. Yeah, I think that... I think. What this is presenting is some aspects of masculinity yes. and watching them go way too far. Yes. You know, and that what I, what I because there's a, there's this phrase that we hear a lot today, which is toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which is a phrase I do not like. Oh. Uh, and I don't like it in, for the same reason I don't like, you know, this, oh, there's a controversy about whether or not we should say uh, Islamic fundamental terrorism, mm-hmm. you know, linking Islam and terrorism. Mm-hmm. And... People who like the phrase will say, well, look, that's what it is. The ISIS and Al-Qaeda, these are fundamentalist uh, religious groups and that the religion is motivating towards terrorism and therefore this is an accurate statement. And people who don't like that phrase will say, well, then you're lumping the 1.8 billion Muslims in the world with a small percentage and that it is in it is hurtful and insulting and divisive to make some secular Muslim living in Indonesia feel like he's somehow connected to this radical group that is killing people. Yeah. And that's why I don't like about the term uh toxic masculinity okay. is you've got half the population who are masculine. Right. And you're and there's this feeling of like, well the problem is your masculinity. And and I don't okay. think that's quite what I think is is my feeling about it is any ideology or any trait taken to an extreme mm-hmm. is toxic. You know, sure. Is that whether it's your Catholicism, whether it's your whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you are, you know, your communism,
2: your Anything you're taking to the it's us or them mentality, that's toxic. I guess, I mean, I I don't know if I 100% agree because I understand the term and I know what it applies to. And I guess that's in the same thing with Islamic fundamental terrorism. I know what it applies to, but I don't, when I hear Islamic fundamental terrorism, I don't think of all the Islamic people. I think of the people who carry out that kind of terrorism who are also of Islamic faith, who pervert it, just like the Christians did in the Crusades. They pervert that, or sometimes Christians do now to use it to judge people who are gay or who don't do what they think they should do in life. I think there's toxicity all over the place. And attaching talk yeah, I, I means the worst parts of it. You know what I'm saying? And so to me, I don't, I don't necessarily rail against the term. I, I understand the term and, but it's a, it's a weird place to be in. Cause sometimes these people who have issues with these, these phrases are because they fear the lowest common denominator, which is a majority of people won't do that extra effort mentally to understand the separation when you use that term. So I think that's a
0: great point. Yeah,
2: that's a great point because like my feeling about it and we'll get into it more in the film sure, is, sure. is like,
0: I just don't like things that are restrictive or prostrictive, mm-hmm. which means that I don't think you should say this is what a man should be sure, because men are all different things. Yes. And I don't think that you should say this is what a man should not be, hmm. you know, restricting or prostricting. Um, and I think that, you know, saying that there are elements of some men that are, can be mm-hmm. more aggressive or more physical, that's okay. Well, we'll get it. we're going to get well, into this. Well, and here's up. the
2: thing, because the, Ger- the German... <sighs> The genesis of that term is f- when men take it too far and become exactly. abusive physically or abusive verbally or sexual harassers or assault sexual assaulters, that I understand, Um but I don't think it's saying masculinity is bad. It's saying right. the the those people. Well, and
0: also those people's interpretation of what masculinity means. Yes, Because yes. there's yes. like, have you heard about this? This is a
2: just recent thing of the incels. Incels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking crazy. Do you want to explain it real quick?
0: Well, I th- by understand. I don't I haven't researched this. But my understanding. <laughs> my understanding is that there's a group of people who uh, believe that they. That sex is owed to them, yeah. and that celibacy is wrong, and therefore women should or must have sex with them, or some crazy fucking thing like yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. So you know, maybe I maybe I have to turn around on to this toxic masculinity well, phrase. Well, um, that's toxic. That is toxic,
2: and that's yeah. what the, that's what tos- toxic masculinity covers is this feeling of righteousness from the male side that they can take advantage or do as they please because it's some. Ham handed and misguided way of feeling like they have power when in fact they don't because most times that comes from a feeling of a loss of power and the incel is the same thing. I can't get you by my normal way of I don't have any game. Uh, and so I'm going to create a group of people who don't have any game and don't have an ability to talk to a woman or seduce a woman or, or, or you know, like have some kind of interaction with a woman that she would find you attractive. So we're going to th- float out this theory that no, women owe us sex. And that's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's stupid. Well,
0: it all goes to this. And this is, again, something the movie is sort of looking at yeah. is I have this pain. That pain is your fault. <laughs> in some way right you know and and to some degree it's like rejecting and this is what we're going to talk about like Mm -hmm. i love uh, ed gives a very uh passion speech about you tell yourself that's the last sofa you will ever need anything else happens (laughs) i have that sofa (laughs) i was close to being complete
2: yeah i love that close to being complete
0: aren't we all i've I, i haven't I would never have articulated it that way, <laughs> but there are times like, you know, Karen and I are doing some remodeling on our patio mm-hmm. right now, and there's that feeling of, I'm going to get this right, and then I never have to think about this again, because <laughs> I will have gotten this thing right.
2: I'll be complete. I'll be complete. Yes, I know. I'm
0: and it's so right. sad. And of course, um, Tyler's responses. do you know what a duvet is? <laughs> Why should guys like us know what a duvet is?
2: Which is... The first time I ever heard that term. Oh, I, really? I, I never knew what a Duvet was, was in 1999. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Oh, is that what that's called? <laughs> um, and, and we go
0: into this thing about about products, how we define ourselves as consumers with Rogaine and Viagra, Martha Stewart. Yeah. Fuck, Fuck Martha Stewart. <laughs> and and here's he the answer. I say never be complete. Stop being perfect. Let's evolve and let the chips fall where they may. It's an interesting and he is so seductive
2: mm-hmm. in what he's saying. Steve, you're a, a smart guy about this. Is he a, is this the id, the superego or the ego? What is Tyler Durden?
0: It'd be more the id, but yep. um
2: does he have ego characteristics mixed into the id?
0: Yeah, I mean I and and, and really, you know, it's like Freud came up with these terms. They're yeah, not yeah. really scientific terms, mm-hmm. you know. They are this is the beginning of psychoanalysis. But yeah, he's more the id. He's certainly the more emotional drive. Yeah. Um But he's also a brilliant genius and, you know.
2: Well, because Edward Norton is genius because he's a smart guy.
0: Absolutely. And one of my favorite lines, by the way, which I do really think is true, the things you own end up owning you. Yep. Yep. Tyler Durden is not a good person. And I don't think in the long run he does good things. But that is a really important sentence that Mm -hmm. we need to think about.
2: Most revolutionary people are revolutionary because they find they unlock certain things that we had accepted as uh, facts, and they unlock the hidden truth of those facts underneath it. Yeah, and that's what that is. But most revolutionaries also take it too far, and so it's, sure. unfortunately, yeah. that's the exchange throughout history. That's always been the exchange.
0: And, and the thing is that the, the things that you own end up on you is is it's true on so many levels mm-hmm. because it's first of all on just a financial level. Yeah, most people in the United States buy a lot of what they buy through credit cards yeah. and credit cards put you in debt. It's a terrible kind of debt and you spend your life paying back credit card debt. And that, so in that sense, literally the thing you buy owns you, yeah. you know, and then, but then in another sense is that the quest to um, collect consumer goods, you know, drives us in so many ways. And, and I'm sure you've had this experience where you fantasize about, I'm so excited to get this thing. It's Mm -hmm. the new TV or the new car or the new whatever it is. And you get it and you get such a high for a week. Yeah. And after that week or two weeks or maybe it's even a month, then it's just your thing. And your brain is already on, man, if I could only get this other thing. Yeah. And you are owned both by the possession that you're in debt for that you already bought and the possession that you desire because that is what's driving you forward. And most, I mean, there are some things that I have purchased yeah. that have given me lasting happiness, mm-hmm. but most of them actually don't.
2: Right. You know? Well, you could even strip it on down, Steve, to the most basic thing. You own your body, but as much as your mind wants to do all these things, your body owns you. And oh, you yeah. can only do so much.
0: Yeah. Well, we got to go back to Lawrence of Arabia and I can't want what I want.
2: Yes. Good Still problem. one
0: of my favorite lines. Yeah. Um, Dave. Finish their beers. They've headed out. Guess these guys are gonna say goodbye. Ed does this sort of. I guess I gotta find a hotel.
1: What? What? A hotel? Yeah. Just ask, man.
0: I love this moment. Yeah. Because it's so. It's and I love even goes. He says, "What are you talking about?" It and and Tyler Durden just like three pitchers of beer, and you still can't ask. <laughs> you called me because you need a place to stay. Just ask. Would Would that be a problem?
1: Is a problem for you to ask?
0: <laughs> and then he asks, "Can I stay at your place?" Sure. Yeah. That is a, that's a great moment in terms of how humans interact.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very hard for us to just say straight up, right? But to, I mean, to be fair, it's two sides of the man, man, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be imposing. Yeah. You're like it's just fucking ask. It's not a big yeah. deal. Just do it. But you create it in your head that you're being imposing, and I'm telling you, you don't need to.
0: Well, of course. What's funny about this situation is in one perspective, literally a guy you just met. Yes. You don't know this guy at all. And to ask to come crash at the guy's house who you just met tonight right. is really weird. On the
2: other hand, it's your house. <laughs> yeah, you already bought yourself. it. You already live there. Right. But the but the symbolism of this moment is also he is asking Tyler to live in his house. T- so he is now, as the narrator, going to let Tyler drive the car. Right. And that's what he's saying. I want to stay at your house, which means I want Tyler to be in control of me right now. Yeah, because he was 70%...
0: Narrator: thirty yeah. percent Tyler Durden. Yeah, and the narrator had an apartment and had a, all this stuff. Right. And now he has destroyed the narrator's life so he can yep. finally go into this other world. Uh, but we have one more favorite ask. <laughs> I
1: want you to hit me
0: as hard as you can. Yeah, man. And and of course, at this moment, which is in the trailers, and is really this movie is called Fight Club. This yep. is what the movie's about. What do we do? We cut away. Let me tell you a little bit about Tyler Durden and can we go into this montage the montage by the way starts with a penis yep very one of these interstitial things pops up subliminal penis for a couple of seconds mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's another thing that's funny about this movie. So as you know, movies go through a quality control process where there's other people other than directors and editors who are going to watch the film and make sure there's no important errors. They flagged all the Tyler appearances, the penises, (laughs) the cigarette burns, and said, excuse me, you got some issues. You need to fix these things. (laughs) Of course. Because they didn't get what was happening. And we find out about what that that Tyler worked as a projectionist and find out about uh, switching wheels and the cigarette burn, which is that dot in the corner.
1: You look for it. You can see these little dots come into the upper right hand corner of the screen. In the industry, we call them
0: cigarette burns. Did you know about the cigarette burn? I did not until this movie. I went to film school and I really (laughs) didn't know that that was called a cigarette burn. Um, And since then, of course, I notice it in every film when it pops by. Or the hair. Or the hair. Yeah. Um, And. You know it gives him other opportunities Which is apparently cutting in Pornographic material Into the middle of family films And the reaction that And we see it happening in the audience And the reaction that goes through The audience is
2: hilarious Yes Uh, You know the man and woman Look at each other Girl starts crying But it's also the first glimpse Into his uh, The possible negative effects Of Tyler Durden Because the girl cried The little girl cried Oh yeah Well this is not a cool thing to do It's funny to him But it's not cool You may have damaged this girl This little girl Psychologically for a while that is
0: exactly the right point. It's funny to him. Well, because to him, I've discovered that all of these social conventions are bullshit. Yeah. Therefore, I will tear them all down.
2: Yeah. And, and I'll make everybody else pay for it.
0: And the other interesting thing that happens, we've had uh, Ed Norton narrating this film through voiceover the whole time. Yeah. Now he's talking directly camera. Yeah. And now not only that, he's but hosted. the person he's talking about... Also turns around and talks to camera. Yeah. That is so weird in film. And yet, because Fincher is so brilliant and because the editor is so brilliant,
2: we never, we don't pause at all. Right? And because the film, the way the film, the film is perfectly constructed to for you to accept that happening at that moment, right. up well, to that point. And
0: it's tearing down film conventions in a way that's yeah. making you, you're not aware that you're watching a movie exactly, but it's like, this is a movie, yeah. you know? Um, and then we go to a banquet. And Tyler is peeing in a terrine. <laughs> <I'm like>, yes. <laughs> so for those of you not watching on the video feed of this, <laughs> which there's none, Roka just poured out a glass of water, which is my favorite <laughs> moment to help because he can't pee with someone watching. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I can't either. Yeah. Don't don't order the cream of mushrooms. Yeah. Deep, by oh, the way, uh, just stay with You get the
2: point. Me. That was great. You get the point.
0: <laughs> and now we're back to oh. we're back to we're back to hitting me as hard as you can.
1: Why? Why? I don't know why. I don't know. Never been in a fight. You? No, but that, that's a good thing. No, it is not. How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight?
2: I know you've been in fights. Yeah. Not for a very long time. Physical fights. Not for a very long time. The only fight I was really in
0: was when I was nine. Wow, what? Nine? I've broken up a bunch of fights. Sure, sure, sure. But breaking up a fight isn't the same thing. And you've actually fought in your classes. I've sparred a Spar- bunch. Spar- sparred. a ton. Right. Um, and it's an issue. So I'll tell you, this is a, I'll make this digression as quickly as possible, but it was a profound thing for me. So I was doing Kung Fu Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do this one kick, which is like a jumping, spinning wheel kick. It was really hard. And I'm a big guy and, (laughs) uh, and I just couldn't do it. And, and my instructor said to me, Steve, you have to use reckless abandon. And the reason was, is to do this kick, you couldn't do it halfway, Right? is that you had to throw your whole body into it with everything you had, mm-hmm. or because you had to jump up and spin completely around and get your kick up in the air. And I was kind of trying to do it halfway because I didn't want to get hurt. Right. And so he said, reckless abandon. And I went, okay, sensei. And I did it and it was awesome. And so reckless abandon became a thing mm-hmm. that I really tried to, okay, reckless abandon, reckless abandon, don't try to protect yourself. So then one day, this guy did martial arts with Jeff, who I'd done forever, we're throwing punches at each other and practicing some block. And we had done this for a long time. And so we were doing it the way we always did it. Mm-hmm. And same sensei, sensei Eric, said, okay, guys, reckless abandon, which meant really try to punch each other as hard as you can. Jeez. So we really did it. And we, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And we didn't hurt each other. I mean, we had bruises on our yeah. arms because that's going to happen. But it was like, oh, wow, I can really block this hardest punch possible he's really he's not going to pull it Mm -hmm. so then we're in a belt test and i think jeff was testing for like his second degree brown belt and i was testing testing for my first or whatever and at the end of the class we're sparring now he and i had sparred hundreds of times yeah so we were doing the same little dance that we always did we knew each other's moves and it was fun and then eric said reckless abandon which meant try to hurt each other and we did because it was a belt test yeah and we went at each other just full on wow and neither of us got hit both of us had bruises all up and down our arms our shoulders our legs because of all the blocks Mm and we lasted somewhere between 30 seconds and forever i don't i have no sense of the time just extended right and we stopped and it was one of those amazing experiences Mm -hmm. and so i relate i haven't been to fight club but i understand this idea of yeah. Putting yourself in the situation where there's not safety,
2: you know, yeah. and what's going to happen? Well, that's why the film works, man. Because totally, because men are built of. I think, of course, you can find variances, but men are essentially built either in either intelligent people who have no interest in physical anything, and people who are built in the physical to to appreciate the physical or use the physical or find some kind of value in the physical, and that's. That's I think that's an intrinsic thing. I don't think that's a learned thing at all. I think it's something you're born with or not born with. My brother, no physical at all, very cerebral right. guy, super intelligent guy, hated doing anything physical, really really did not like confrontation in terms of physical confrontation. Me, for whatever reason, I had an affinity for it since I was a younger kid or since I was a baby maybe, and I've always like I got my ass kicked for so long that eventually it became a switch that right. I understood uh power and value through this. Right. And so I've never phys- I haven't I haven't gotten into fights since maybe 1992 1993 but uh physically I've always been ready just in case. And so uh that's the thing that I I find value in but I always I never want to be a mongoloid so the development of my mind is also important to me as right. well. So you see in this movie, that's what I think the movie does, at least for me, speaking for myself personally, and I hear your story, it is the physical thing that I can, the primal physical thing that I connect to.
0: Well, and it's funny because I'm essentially a pacifist. I'm not quite a pacifist. Right. I certainly believe in you know defense and, yeah. and there are times when violence is necessary for various reasons, but I don't believe in violence as solving problems in, for the most part. Sure. I would believe in avoiding it, but- I love roughhousing on Mm -hmm. every level. Like I love wrestling and sparring and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. That's a big part of me. And I would say, I don't need to put, there are certainly, I would say, whatever this thing is that you're describing, Mm -hmm. far more men than women have it. Yes. You know, um. But there are women who have it, absolutely, and men who don't. Yes. And one of the things is in that that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And again, we get into this idea of toxicity. When taken to extremes, it is terrible. Right. But it also is something that's not wrong in and of itself when done in the way that you know, mm-hmm. you know, little kids want. You know, just like puppies need to play and wrestle and bite each other. Right. Sometimes little boys need to roughhouse. You know, And sometimes, like my son, that gets shut down because at school, there's kind of a zero tolerance Mm -hmm. for being physical. And so he feels sometimes when he – like he and another boy are wrestling around and they're giggling and smiling and the teachers pull them apart and make them apologize because that's not – you're not allowed to be physical (laughs) at the school. And so now he feels like he's bad for having this part of himself and I don't like that. Right, you know, it's like because I, mean, I wrestle with him all the time, and we laugh and giggle and throw each other around. It's fun, and that's yeah. part of what is in us that we like. Yeah, but for Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, they've never been in a fight before, so he wants him to hit it in the hardest. Can I love that? It's like you know, in the in the face and the stomach. Oh, surprise me! Yeah, at this moment, like really, and then Ed Norton hauls off and hits him with this the lamest looking punch <laughs> right in the ear.
1: Motherfucker. It hit
0: me in the ear. <laughs> You've been in the ear. Uh, yes. Hurts like crazy. Mm-hmm. Ears are really sensitive. Then you go numb a little bit. And and there's sort of this like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, it was perfect. And then Brad Pitt punches it right in the chest. Oh!
1: Ah!
0: And then it really hurts. Right. Hit me again. And they start fighting. Yeah. Which of course never happened. No, he's fighting himself. He was at some bar. And he walked outside and decided to punch himself in the, in the, in the ear. Maybe. Right. That is so weird. Mm-hmm. It is a very strange thing to imagine. And then after they're laughing, say we should do it again sometime. We walk home. We ask, where's the car? Which is the one he stole. He's like, what car? So we have no idea what actually happened with that car. Yep. We show up at Tyler's house. This is a great set. Mm-hmm. It is. It, I think it was shot in like outside of somewhere like Cincinnati or something. Yeah. It was the exterior and the interior is all built on sets. Okay. It is amazing. Yep. Everything is falling apart, water everywhere, plaster falling. It is brown. All the water is brown. Mm -hmm. It is a disgusting, disgusting place.
2: He's in Tyler's mind. That's Tyler's house. Yeah. And so the house has to look that way because that's how Tyler feels about the world. There's nothing, there's no, you know, cable or any of that. Wi Fi, none of that. It's all a dingy house. Well, Wi Fi didn't exist. Basic. Well, Um, yeah. Good point. So, but well, and it's also and again, dial up.
0: There's no dial up. Dial up existed back then. Dial-up certainly. Existed. I
2: had dial up back then.
0: Um, uh, the, w- what's interesting, of course, is, as we said before, we don't know what this house looked like no, because no. all of these people are unreliable. We don't actually know point, yeah. what the house was. Because um, you're right It could just be Tyler's mind It's a reflection um, of his mind yeah. Then we go back to our next fight And two guys are kind of watching them yeah. We're at work And the boss uh, He, he kind of makes con- eye contact With the boss of the urinal He's got the <laughs> black eye We go back to the house We see that they have to kill the power When it rains We have more guys fighting And yeah. finally someone volunteers Can I be next?
2: <laughs> and now I'm we sure, see it's
0: starting to, to to spread Right They're hitting golf balls in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night, and they talk about at night alone for half a mile in every direction. Mm -hmm. We're not alone very much in our world. No. And now we find, uh, while Tyler is riding his bike through the house, we find this article about (laughs) organs talking about themselves in the first person. I am Jack's medulla
2: oblongata.
0: (laughs) I am Jill's nipples. I am Jill's nipples. Or Jill's nipple. I'm Jack's colon. Which apparently is based on some real Reader's yeah. Digest article. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. Um, and and by the way, in the script, because you have to give characters a name, the narrator's name is Jack. And so people... That makes there sense. are places where people refer to this person as Jack, although yeah. he doesn't actually have a name. Right. Right. Um, Back at work, he talks about how everything, when, when, you're, when you're fighting like this, the, it just turns the volume down on everything else, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happens. Uh, when this his boss is assigning him something, we can't really hear what he's saying. Yep. And I love that when he puts the files down, we hear the sound of dripping water. And we're back in to the house where Tyler is taking a bath. Yep. And they're having a conversation, as you do. They're bonding. Yeah. And they ask,
1: if you could fight anyone? anyone, who would you fight? Fight my boss, probably. Really? Yeah, why? Who'd you fight? fight my dad. I don't know my dad.
0: And now we get right into this thing of, I didn't really know my dad. And and we hear that, you know, Ed Norton's dad started new families all the time, mm-hmm. like franchises. Um,
2: I set up, fucker set up franchises.
0: Yeah. And and then Tyler tells the story of,
2: my dad never went to college. So it's real important that I go. That sounds
0: familiar. Why? Because they have the same dad. Exactly. Now what do I do? Get a job. Same here. Now what? Get married. You can't get married. I'm a 30-year-old boy. And I can't hear if he says, I can't get married. We can't get married. You can't get mm-hmm. married. can't really hear it. He says something. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I'm a 30-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. I. So this came out in 99. I was 30. Yeah. You know? So I. this is like... Well, it's a statement about... And at the time, I'm a guy out of film school yeah. who had these dreams of being a big director, and I was doing DVD quality control.
2: Well, that's the thing, isn't it, Steve? That's the brilliance of this film. I think, in my opinion, the societal comments it's making about men, too. The, the new man. Like he says in that scene...
1: We're a generation of men raised by
2: women. I'm wondering if another woman is really the answer we need. It's a powerful statement there, and he's saying that this is the situation with w- which we find ourselves, because these guys, are we've been coddled or catered to, or had our needs met, so much so that now we're boys. We never got to be men, because our fathers dealt with all kinds of other shit that they had go through, and yes, they were repressed emotionally, they were repressed in many ways, they couldn't speak, like, a, you know, couldn't speak knowledgeably, maybe about what was happening, psychologically, truly messed up a bunch of the kids growing up, so... It's you can explore all of this, and yes, there's a positive that we're all able to talk about our feelings now. But by the side token, we've all like also stayed boys for a majority of our lives. So it's well, well it's I mean, fascinating. It's like, and, and you know, generations before
0: they could fix the electricity, exactly. repair the car, and do all this stuff that most of us can't really do. I mean, it's hunter gatherer sense, yeah. I mean, there, we have become more and more specialized, more and more isolated, yep. and yeah, it's an interesting and, and this because one of the things this movie is about is what does it mean to be a man? right And of course, my opinion is that it can mean a whole bunch of different stuff to a whole bunch of different people sure. but certainly at this time in my life when I was 30 and feeling like a complete failure, yeah and not doing the things I had I had dreamt of doing, and we get to this movie and I'm like, man, this is me. Mm. you know, it felt a lot like me. I'm a 30 year old child. yeah, you know, interesting. And we keep going. Most of the week, they're Ozzy and Harriet. They've worked out a pretty good relationship. That's <laughs> great. Um, Bromance. But every Saturday night, we were learning something new. And he's not really worrying about that condo anymore. Mm-hmm. We're off at work, and there's a meeting. And oh, guys, he's asking, of course, if he can get something in cornflower blue. <laughs> and, and one of the other guys at the meeting kind of says something to Ed Norton, who just, like, smiles his bloody teeth right. at him. It's so gross and disturbing. Yeah. And now it's time for really for Fight Club to start. It was right in everyone's face. Tyler and I just made it visible. It was
1: on the tip of everyone's tongue. Tyler and I just gave it a name.
0: And they come into the bar. It really reminds me, by the way, of going into the Coca Cola Oh Good point. You know, it's a it's a steady camp shot coming into the bar, and the camera's kind of panning around as this momentum builds, mm-hmm. and this huge crowd goes down into the basement, and we go right into. The speech. Yeah.
1: Welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is
0: you do not talk about Fight Club.
2: We're bra- And we're breaking it right now. We're breaking the rule by talking about it. So. Well, this is the thing about the, fir- the first <laughs> rule about Fight Club is clearly everybody's breaking the rule. Yeah. Which spreads like wildfire. Which fly. he says later
0: on, yeah. I mean... And the biggest person breaking the rule is tyler Durden. It's Tyler Durden yeah um and and you know what it's not a bad set of rules, mm-hmm. I think that and it's the most interesting rule to me is
1: if this is your first night at fight club,
0: you have to fight it off. yeah, and we kind of hear about like like this guy Ricky from work, who's this quiet person, but he's a god. When he beats up this matre D. He
2: couldn't figure out if you said black pens or blue pens, but yeah. he was a yep. but he was a
0: god when he beat up the local matre D. Yeah. yeah. And now we're back at work and we see Ricky and there's yeah. that eye contact. And then we see the Matre D, and there's that eye contact. And what Ed says, which is interesting, is like I couldn't talk to them in this circumstances. Yeah. They're not the same person yeah. as they were there. If you could fight any celebrity <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tyler Durden's answer is Hemingway. Which is a good choice? Yeah, sure. And Ed Norton's Shatner is Shatner, William Shatner. I'd fight William Shatner. Yeah, I love that movie so, moment yeah, so much in the movie. Great! Oh my god, it's true. Shatner be a good fight, in his particularly prime. in his prime. Yeah, he's got that big jump kick. Yep. Yeah, you gotta stay away from that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: I hope that if you if you could have a fantasy fight with William Shatner, that music would play. Absolutely. We all started seeing things differently. Everywhere we went, we were sizing things up. And you could see them doing that in the frame. And this is one of the just important filmmaking thing is that what's happening throughout this movie is that the video is reinforcing... Uh, What we're hearing is that part of why the voiceover works is it's always dynamic. It's never just telling you something. It's making you think about things. It's making you observe the video in a different way. And one of the things they observe is on this bus that they're on is like a Gucci or something, Calvin Klein ad or something with a a beautiful man with ripped abs, Mm -hmm. to which Tyler's response is, is that what a a man's supposed to look like? Mm. Um, Which is funny to me, because in the next scene, yes. we're going to see Brad Pitt with some perfect abs. Some incredible abs, yeah. But at this moment, he says, self-improvement is masturbation. Mm-hmm. And then he says, now self-destruction, but does not finish the sentence. Right. What is self-destruction? The, it's the opposite of what he was saying with self... Well, if self-improvement is yeah. masturbation, yeah. well, the opposite of masturbation one would think is sex. Or is it? I mean, what is the opposite of masturbation? Interesting.
2: Well, masturbation is pleasure. So to me... But it's pleasure just for yourself that serves no...
0: Sure. It doesn't procreate. It doesn't create a purpose.
2: Which is what self-improvement is, right? That's what he's saying. Self-destruction is the removal of that pleasure. So mm. you're exploring... You're going... Once again, because Tyler's whole point of the whole movie is to get to the bottom. Well,
0: and to and to feel pain to feel that pain, pain right. is real so it's funny because I interpret it totally differently but yeah. I like oh, yours okay. too so so your interpretation is masturbation is pleasure destruction is pain yeah and 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 therefore destruction is going to that's how it's going in the opposite direction because it's exploring pain rather than pleasure it
2: takes more effort to do pain than it does
0: and what I was thinking was masturbation is not productive where sex is is procreation yeah so masturbation has serves no purpose yeah. where whereas destruction is creation sure because he wants to destroy the world to create the new world. Cool. And of course, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Um, We're back in a fight. And this is where we see Brad Pitt in all his ab glory. Damn, he looks great. Yeah. Um, Just wiping a guy out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Ed goes out and loses a fight. Um, But but even as he loses the fight, he looks at all the blood on the floor. When the fight was over, nothing was solved, but nothing mattered. Cool. I do get that Mm -hmm. I there have been spar I've had some particularly intense sparring experiences where light time just stops and there's just just this feeling of you know in the zone in that
2: in that moment I have it sometimes with verbal confrontations sometimes Mm -hmm. with a verbal confront when it's done I'm like satisfied it's weird it's a very weird thing I don't pick I don't seek to pick them when I was younger Fuck yeah, I did because I had a lot of insecurity. I was working out, self esteem issues. I was working out, but now when there's an honest debate or uh, difference of opinion that escalates to a confrontation verbally, when it's over, I almost feel a little bit of satisfaction, like Ed does, staring at the blood yeah. on the ground because ideas were exchanged and received on both sides. That's those are the ones that I feel the mo- the right. best about. Not just fighting to fight, right? Yeah. Sometimes Tyler spoke for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's another clue. Yeah. Where he's
0: getting the stitches. And then he yeah. says what Tyler says. We're uh now we get now to get the one you talked about. Historical
2: figure. Yeah. Gandhi, Gandhi. and Lincoln. Gandhi's such a great choice. <laughs> the thing is, Lincoln would be a tough fight. Yeah. When he says skinny guys will fight till they're burger, that's a great line. Yeah. Or th- yeah, skinny guys, right? Or thin guys, he says. Yeah. Phone rings. It's Marla. Yeah. Uh, I like that Brad is practicing. Wait, who would you fight? If you could fight one historical figure, who would you fight? Um I t- uh
0: who would i fight
2: i don't know i don't have an answer right now all right think i'll keep it. thinking about it do, right. do you have elvis an is my choice elvis, elvis.
0: prime <laughs> yeah
2: nice Con- interesting nice country boy yeah, yeah.
0: I, I i'm trying to think of what is my agenda like i totally understand the shatner like shatner yeah. is such a good answer yeah it is um <laughs> but i would never fight gandhi because i you know he's this tiny little pacifist
2: yeah but he's a scrappy son of a bitch <laughs> i imagine gandhi's because he, he was a lawyer He's a scrappy son oh, of a bitch. He'll talk you into circles while he's kicking your ass. <laughs> no, but he would just say, I will not resist. And then, yeah, he, then he'll just... like, <laughs> he's move duck around and like the matrix and shit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I'm picturing Gandhi taking his, his robes. I forget what the name of that cloth that he wears. It just like oh, wrapping yeah. you, tying you up in it and standing on yeah. top of you. All right. We've digressed. <laughs> yes, well, Marla's calling Brad's practicing with nunchucks in the background. Um, and Marla's like, where have you been? You haven't come to any of the support groups. Because she's been cheating. Yeah. Uh, and apparently for weeks, he hasn't been going. Because he's been caught up with Tyler. Yeah, who knows? And yeah. and and now she reveals that she's taken a bunch of Xanax. Yeah. Xanax. And she says... This isn't a
1: for real suicide thing. This is probably one of those cry for help things.
0: This could go on for hours.
1: So you're staying in tonight, then? Do you want to wait and hear me describe that?
0: Then we hear... There's this sort of sex <laughs> sounds and essentially bullet time yeah. going around them in
2: this weird sex scene. Yeah, it goes to black and then it's this weird sex scene because he lays the phone down yep. and walks away from it, which is interesting because he's obviously laying the phone down because Edward Norton is disappearing, the narrator is disappearing, and now Tyler Durden is taking control of his mind, Right, which is why he goes to black. It's a right. switch.
0: Because what happened is... Tyler Durden was on the phone yes. and went to get her, which we're going to see, and yeah. pick her up, and then they had crazy sex. Yeah, they did. By the way, so the sex was – they literally done like bullet time with like Uh-oh. still cameras and stuff, uh-huh. and it was uh, Brad Pitt and Helena Carter. She says it's not her real breast, by the way. Oh, no. And that um, – they had dots all over them, and they literally, was like two days of just <laughs> posing. It was like the most non-sexy sex scene ever made, and they described it as Fincher sex. Yeah, you Fincher,
2: know? well, it's hot sex, that's for sure. The, it is. It, even if it's not her breast, it's still hot sex. Um,
0: uh, And Ed wakes up and walks through the room, sees Tyler's door is never closed, mm-hmm. uh, condoms in the toilet. A lot of them. Yeah, four of them. Uh, And then he hears someone coming. He says, oh, you won't believe this dream I had last night.
1: Yeah, I can hardly believe anything about last night.
0: And he just immediately is, what are you doing here? And her reaction is, all right. What do you mean? This is my house. What are you doing in my house? She says, fuck you. And she leaves. You got to feel bad for Marla watching this movie a second time.
2: Mm, I don't know if I feel bad. She's just as messed up as he is. She is not as messed up as he is. He has In different ways. Different she's she's trying to kill person. herself. Sure. So with Xanax, she's stealing people's clothes and selling them. She has her own sins. No I question. Would say.
0: But so, she's dealing with this
2: person who literally is. She chose this guy, though. She, he, but she doesn't know he's two people. No. As soon as he shows it, though, she doesn't run away. Oh, yeah, She's no, she correct. keeps coming back All for right, this then, guy. Then my sympathy is, is done. If you stick around, my sympathy is done for you. You're going on the journey. I just and have and more sympathy you. in my heart than yeah, you. True. I there you go. Because um, <laughs> now, <'cause> now Tyler <laughs> Maybe comes. Maybe I've dated some Marlas in my time as well. So <laughs> I, go suppose, ahead. I suppose. Yeah, I haven't had that experience.
0: Tyler comes in. Uh, and his first response is, you got some fucked up friends. Yeah, that's a great line. Limber, though. <laughs> yeah, limber, though. <laughs> What's so funny about this uh, movie, by the way, is that the narrator has had sex with Marla and doesn't know it. Nope. And is jealous of his friend having mm-hmm. sex with Marla, which is actually him. Yeah, um, that is. I could feel sad for the narrator. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, if only you could remember, then you, you know. But he can't. Um, and now we go see, back in time. We see, Ty- and this is really the only Tyler on his own scene. Mm-hmm. Ed Norton is in basically almost every scene in the entire movie. That's true, uh, and he goes off and he goes to see Marla. Um, it is a really funny scene wow. as she kind of drugged up, falling on the floor. Mm -hmm. Someone's called an ambulance. They get out of the place. They're kind of hiding and doing... Brad Pitt (laughs) does a weird little dance as the ambulance guys are going by. And then Marla starts yelling out, oh, she's really messed up about herself as they escape. We get back to the house and she says...
1: I fall asleep.
2: I'm done for. You're gonna have to keep me up all night. By the way... uh... This time watching it, the way he yanks her around the stairs uh, when they're leaving the her apartment building, mm-hmm. very narrator esque, and so mm. it didn't feel as cool as Tyler. Oh, that's and so. That's I thought. there's a one rare moments where you see Edward Norton coming out of Brad Pitt. So well, because
0: what actually happened is Ed yeah. Norton showed up, yes, and took her back to the house, exactly, and then had sex with her, and then when she saw him. Twenty minutes later yeah. he said, Get the fuck out of my house. Right. Uh and I love now uh Tyler's talking to, to the narrator and says, The shit that came out of this woman's mouth I ain't never heard.
1: My God. I haven't been fucked like that since grade
0: school.
2: <sighs>
0: there was an even worse line that's from the book oh. that the studio wouldn't accept and oh. they had to take it out. Oh. Which is I want you to make me pregnant. I want to give birth to your abortion. Oh my god. So I think they made the right choice <laughs> in taking that out. No less unsettling though. No, it's a horrible horrible line. Yeah. And and Tyler basically says to Ed, "You can't talk to her about me. If you say anything about me, I'm done."
2: <laughs> Which is of course yeah. that self-protective feature of your other personality, you can't reveal me to her, she'll know you're insane and then you'll expose our us. And then we have a whole bunch of scenes where, the montage where they're having
0: sex Mm -hmm. and the plaster's falling down on them and all this terrible thing's happening. Mm -hmm. By the way, one of the weird jobs as an actor is for something like this, you have to do ADR, which is where you go to the little booth and make a recording. Well, they had to do all sorts of orgasm sounds, (laughs) loud ones, quiet ones. And so you're sitting there with technicians and recording and the director, and they're giving you like, no, now give me one like this, now one like this. And it was like an all day orgasm Mm -hmm. noise day.
2: I did that for a book uh, on tape that I recorded. Orgasms? Yeah, orgasms. Oh, sounds that's weird. But everyone's in on it, so you're all laughing Oh, no, it's about hilarious. It. So it's, yeah, but it is a weird
0: experience. Um, and, and at one point, he peeks through the door, and there's Brad wearing rubber
2: gloves, <laughs> which is his idea, by the way. Well, no, but this is... Wait, I don't want to skip over this, Steve, real quick, because I know it's... it's uh, when he walks by the door, and Brad Pitt opens the door, yeah. right? That's obviously, in his mind, uh, the narrator is trying to see what Tyler Durden is doing yes and Tyler shuts him down yes though it literally it's so simple the door of the, the mind of the door of the mind opening yeah. and he shuts the door on him he's keeping things separate yes well and this is the, the weird one of the interesting things about Tyler Durden is Tyler
0: Durden knows that there's a split person oh yeah he's aware of it completely yeah and and this other guy doesn't right you know because uh, Tyler one? is created where this other guy is the actual person well but this is the thing it's like is there an actual person yes they're I think they're both him
2: what do you mean? Do you think they're both him?
0: I, there isn't one real person and one fake person. I mean, if you behave like—I mean, oh no—but I, I, Tyler was created later. Absolutely, in his life. Tyler who came into Who He is, but like the things that so, Tyler says and does, they'll come from him. Yes, of course, absolutely. Yeah. But it's I mean, I'm not, more in control. I'm not a s- expert on psychiatry, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I play one on TV. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but I
0: play one on the cinephile. <laughs> um, we're back at work. Is that your blood? Some of it, yeah and and I lo- now he's just aggressively throwing it at people yeah and he gets home and he gets called from the detective yeah ends up that his apartment was dynamited mm-hmm. and he's starting to ask questions about him and and there's Brad there's Tyler there sort of whispering him trying to trying to make Tyler make him say things mm-hmm. um and he gives a very impassioned that condo was my life i love every single stick of furniture
1: <laughs> that was not just a bunch of stuff that got destroyed it was me
0: which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um which is true. It is true. Well, it is some it is the version of symbolic. him who's trying to destroy exactly. absolutely. Exactly. And then Tyler says tell him you blew it up. That's what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And now we've gotten to this thing of oh, he might be a suspect. Once again, telling him to blow that you blow it up is a self-destructive thing. Yeah. Uh and then and then of course, we we've seen Tyler and Marla and we hear except for the condom, Tyler and Marla were never in the same room. Mm. Which is actually not true is is that he's tyler yeah yeah. so every time they're always in the same room right um when he's there and then there's just a beautiful bit of poetic writing in language which is
1: the condom is the glass slipper of our generation you slip one on when you meet a stranger you dance all night
2: then you throw it away the condom i mean not
1: stranger.
0: And then we go into this this dress that she's wearing that she got at a, a thrift shop for a yeah. dollar and that it was a bridesmaid dress and someone loved it for one day and then tossed it like a Christmas tree. We have the condom loved and tossed, mm-hmm. the dress loved and tossed, the Christmas tree loved and tossed, and then she grabs him by the crotch. Yeah. And she wants...
2: She's trying to connect with this guy who she's having sex with all the time, and he just rejects her. Well, this is the incredible gift of this movie, dude. It starts out as something, and it becomes a love story. Yeah. It's a fucked up love story. Very much so. But it's a love story. Yeah. And that's if you've watched this film and you haven't caught that it's a love story, here's a new way to look at it. It's absolutely a love story.
0: And love saves the day. Yes. I mean, the the thing that is, in the end, going to make him stand up to Tyler Mm -hmm. is going to be
2: her. Marley, yeah.
0: Yeah. So she, she's grabbing by the crotch. He's rude. And then there's Brad who says, or Tyler, who says, get rid of her. Hmm. Um, and he's like, no, you get rid of her. And again, Tyler's like, don't mention me. And his response is...
1: I'm six years old again, passing messages between parents.
0: The dad issues and mom issues that are going on with this person are big. Oh,
2: yeah. Huge. We don't ever deal with them. We don't know what they right. were, but they're big. Well, it's clearly symbolic that... He had an overly masculine father and a very feminine mom. Yeah, you see that. And after Marla's gone, Tyler says, "Well, you we say one thing about Marla. At
0: least she's trying to hit bottom." Yeah. This thing about hitting bottom is a really big deal, mm-hmm. and of course, it's a term that comes from AA. Yep. Because um, only once you hit bottom can you start to go into recovery, mm-hmm. whatever that means in this weird context. <laughs> Tonight we make soap. Yeah. We head over to this barbed wire, we hide from some guards, and we get to the best soap comes from humans. We're at a liposunction clinic. Now, I don't know if they have big plastic see-through bags of fat in dumpsters, Maybe. but man, is this gross. Yeah, it's gross. And in particular, throwing that thing over, it gets caught on the barbed wire, it drips. I mean, it is nasty. Yep. Now we're back to rendering fat, and which I, like I said, I think is symbolic throughout the film. Yep. And he kind of talks about this whole thing about ancient people and ash. And that's how they discovered lie. And then he takes Ed Norton's hand and he kisses it.
1: What is this? This is a chemical murder. Ah! Ah!
0: And pours lie on his hand. Yeah, man. This is an amazing scene in all sorts of, I mean, the performances are great. Mm-hmm. The way it's filmed is great. The language is great. The desperation. The desperation. Yeah. And Ed first tries to go to meditation. Stay with the pain. Don't shut this out. No, no. Oh, Ty. Tyler's like, no. Yeah. Stay with the pain. Right. Without pain, without sacrifice, we would have nothing.
1: I tried not to think of the word serum or flesh. Stop
0: it. <gasps> this is your pain. This is your
1: burning end. It's right here. I'm going to my cave. I'm going to my cave. I'm going to find my power animal. No. Don't deal with it the way those dead people do.
0: Again, it's a rejection of that support group. What
1: you're feeling is premature enlightenment.
0: <laughs> Which sounds like premature ejaculation, you know. And again, we're our relation to masturbation and destruction and yep. sex and all those things.
1: Our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? Oh, no, no, I don't. Listen to me. I have to consider the possibility that God does not like you. He never wanted you. In all probability, he hates you.
0: Some good stuff. Yeah. And in the end, what he's saying is you have to accept the pain. Once you accept the pain, then I'll pour vinegar on it and it'll stop.
2: Well, what's the greatest thing? Like Whenever everybody goes through anything, any sense of loss or any kind of like heartbreak or whatever, in any form, everyone goes, God, I just want to get through this so I can be, I can be over it. I right. just want to get through the pain. And people numb it. People try to escape it. People try to, to have sex with a bunch of people, sex with a bunch of people so they can forget about the person. But the only way out is through. And yep. sometimes going through, yeah, you may need to meditate, everyone. But something you gotta feel it. Yep. Because the only way out is to feel it and then climb back out of yeah. it. And that's what, in essence, he's trying to tell him. You need to by pouring him. He's making him confront his life, making him like feel what's happening in right. his life, and in a messed up way, he's trying to guide him out of it, and saying all these things to him so that he will, uh, you know, like sit there in the pain. You know, uh, Leslie does. Our friend Leslie, she does um, life coaching and she says, sometimes sitting in the unknown is the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's the most necessary thing you can do. Well, and that's that's the unknown for him is that, is the pain. Well, this is this theme throughout this
0: movie. Yeah. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. The, right. You have to hit bottom. Great point. You know, this is what, is that the movie is saying, all these things you're holding onto are trapping you. Yeah. Your stuff is owning you. We must destroy all of it in to, order to get to some truth. Yeah. Of course, what that truth is, this is where this movie is really fraught with a lot of weird stuff. And also, there's this great moment where uh, Ed Norton's character says, you don't know how this feels. Mm. And he shows him his own hand with his own scar. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Now, here's the thing about this. He only scarred one of his hands. Right. And he did it by himself. So in this moment, he's looking to the imaginary person who has already done it. Yeah. And only one of those is real, right? You know. Um, uh, but finally, he kind of relaxes into it to some degree. Gets the vinegar poured on him. Congratulations! One step closer to hitting bottom. But what exactly, in this context, does hitting bottom mean? Was I asleep? Had I slept?
1: Let go. Okay. You are now firing a gun at your imaginary friend near 400 gallons of nitro
0: The Cinephiles will return in one week with part two of Fight Club. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one
2: grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.